0: Hello everyone, welcome back to The Early Education Show. We're here with episode 99. I'm Liam and it's just me this week doing the intro, Uh, Lisa and Leanne. Uh, just having a, a break. We're heading towards Easter, and, and I think I was planning on as well, but we, uh, I decided we'd get an episode out this week um, just talking to a few different people. Uh, a little while ago, uh, earlier this month, in fact, the Early Childhood Educator uh, Wellbeing Project, uh, who we, uh, we talked with, Sandy, Tamara, and Helen from that project uh, in our first episode back in 2019. Um, they've had a bit of an update, and they had a stakeholder roundtable uh, earlier this month, and I thought um, it might be a good opportunity to check in with that project. There's some really fascinating things happening um, with it. The north side, of the organization I work for, uh, he's taking part in the project, and one of our directors uh, went to that roundtable, uh, and also Leanne, obviously co-host of the podcast, was also there as well. So it kind of seemed like the stars were aligning to tackle that, the update to that project. So um, this episode, I'll be introducing three sort of you know quick, uh, sharp interviews. Um, firstly, with uh, Tamara Cumming, one of the lead researchers on the project, just giving us a bit of an update and, and sort of taking us through the background of the roundtable, why it was happening. Um, we're going to talk to Lisa Wright, who's the centre director of Harrison Early Childhood Centre, one of the Northside centres, and someone I'm. Um, I've i actually worked with in the past before and very, very privileged to know uh, and work with. And then Leanne herself, interviewing Leanne is a very strange uh, concept to I me, given she's the co-host of the show, but uh, we kind of make through it and actually and have a few technical difficulties during that interview. It was a bit hard for us to find a, a decent Skype connection on both ends of the call. But um, this this project is one I'm really, really excited about and we'll probably touch base uh, with the project uh, throughout you know the rest of the course of the, of the run of that project. But um, the stakeholder event was really exciting. Um, I was kind of sad I wasn't there. There. But um, hopefully, this you know this uh, series of interviews will give you a bit of a taste of, of what it might have been like to to uh, to to be there. But enough waffle from me. Uh, let's uh, get straight into the interview with Tamara Cumming, one of the lead researchers on the Early Childhood Educator Wellbeing Project. And it's great to be joined now by Tamara Cumming, who we spoke to uh, a few, well, probably yeah, 10 episodes back at the start of January about the Early Child Educator Wellbeing Project. Tamara, welcome back to the Early Education Show.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Liam. I can't believe it's Jan- it was January and now it's April. You know, I feel like it was kind of only last week that we had that chat.
0: And it's up. It's, like it's update time already. I feel like you're like reporting into us on that, which you yes. know, just to be clear, you're you're not obligated to do. So we're very, <laughs> very, very, grateful you're willing to talk to us at all. But, um, but since that sort of time, and, and now there's actually been a few exciting things happening with the project. And we did, um, so uh, you know, Lisa and Leanna are sort of taking a week off this week, so I thought it might be a good time to check in uh, with the project. So we wanted to start obviously with you, um, who are continuing to work with Sandy Wong and Helen Logan. But um, you know, tell us what's sort of been happening with the project since since January.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Well, so since January, we've um, we've got together. We've had a, a, a data analysis day and um, also our wonderful PhD student, Salima Jung, has been doing some data analysis for us. So we've got some interesting findings from the pilot data. So people might remember um, the project that we're talking about is the – it's called the Early Childhood Educator Wellbeing Project and we call that EQUIP. So if I say EQUIP, that's what I'm talking about um, – And our model is a holistic model. So we we measure educators' psychological and physiological well-being within the context of the quality of their work environment. So um, some of the ways we do that is through a survey. Um, We also do health measures and um, we ask people to do a saliva swab for us and also to wear the HEXO skin vest, of course which is very exciting. Um, And so from the pilot data, so we got data from 78 participants in all, which we're really excited about because that's a really good data set. And we had people from... Different types of places, so there are people from cities and from the country and from regional um, areas, and different types of organisations. So there's some not-for-profit, there's um, for-profit organisations. There's a few preschools in there, though. Most of our participants tend to be from long day care services. Um, so just to give you a bit of an update, um, the people. So not everybody did all of the bits of the um, assessment. So. I'll just sort of have that bit of a disclaimer there but basically um, three quarters of the people who took part in it were between 20 and 40 um, and most of those people um, worked full-time and of that percentage most of those people were permanent part-time. So our sample is is obviously people um, who are working full-time rather than part-time and also not um, very many who are casual at the moment. So in the future we, we want to make sure that we get some more of those voices in there. Um, over half of the participants' services were rated exceeding, and then you know other people's services were were in the mix there as well. Um, three quarters of our participants were certificate or diploma qualified, and the, the other quarter were um, degree qualified. Um, as you'd expect, 93 percent were female um, of our participants and the the people who took part were distributed across different children's age groups, slightly more who worked with mixed age groups than say just with infants or just with preschoolers or that sort of thing. Um, so since we last spoke, um, we we had some analysis done of parts of the survey and one part I just wanted to mention that, I, Find people are quite interested in is a, a scale called the Maslach Burnout Inventory, and this was part of our overall survey. And the Burnout Inventory um, basically measures um, three things: it it measures um, emotional exhaustion, um, depersonalization, which is if you if you get a bit unfeeling towards people who are you're working with, and also a sense of personal accomplishment, so that you feel competent in the work you do. So, and we ask people to rate how often they felt certain ways. Um, and then we, we got the scores on those. And what we found is that um, one really good thing was that 86% of people experienced personal accomplishments. So they felt really competent in their work. And that went with data that we found in other parts of the survey that said people have got a very high level of satisfaction. And that kind of also relates to literature, research literature that's out there that says that early childhood educators are generally very satisfied with their work but at the same time we found 84% of people also experienced this sense of depersonalised depersonalization once a, about once a month so if you think there are people out there who around once a month and possibly more um, had an unfeeling or impersonal response towards children that really tells you that you know there's a prop there's some there's a problem in um, in in educators in that aspect of educators well-being and as well as that 60% of participants had emotional exhaustion once a month or more and of that 60% 20% it was once a week or more so you know nice. i think that was yeah that was one of the really alarming findings you know that um, that people are really um, feeling completely drained by the work they do, um, overextended, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed. Um, and just one last little bit that goes with that. This is kind of, I'm showing my bias here as a researcher because this is the bit that I'm particularly ex- interested in. Um, we ask people to answer the question, um, I need to be nice no matter how I really feel. Um, how often did people feel that? 37% said at least once a week but 23 people, 23% in total, not of the 37, but 23% said every day.
0: Um,
1: wow. So the majority of educators are feeling they need to be nice no matter how they really feel. Over half of them are feeling emotionally exhausted once a month and like 84% are having that problem with depersonalization. So just just to give you that little snapshot, um, yeah, that was that was some of the stuff that came out of what we found.
0: I think that's amazing that's coming through. I think we talked about this in January when I spoke to all three mm-hmm. of you, that I'm really interested in this research because I'm mm-hmm. um not to, you know, pre pre uh, you know, to try and guess what the research will show, but my feeling yeah. is from having worked in the sector, just anecdotally, is that we're going to be quite um Probably alarmed and quite taken aback yeah. by the results because I think people who work yeah. in the sector kind of know yeah. instinctually how difficult and draining this is. The the depersonalization stuff tomorrow is fascinating. This I've is. had lots of discussions with people. Particularly now, I don't work directly in centres. I don't work directly with children mm-hmm. anymore. I have a nice comfy office and I can go get a coffee whenever I want and have lots exactly. of you know lots of you know important discussions with important people where we all pretend we're very very important despite the fact the actual work is happening in centres. Is that yeah. one of the things that we just kind of fight against when you are when leading teams is that um that depersonalization because mm. um and then and, and the challenge is there because it's not that people are, are bad people it's just when you do the mm. same thing all day every day and it's really yeah. really difficult and challenging it's often hard to you kind of get lost in it and you kind of, it's it's very easy yes. to start um not seeing um in particular ways your interaction with you and so i find it fascinating that's already coming through in yeah. the, in the research um yeah, yeah.
1: and i i think and I think these are discussions that we all really need to have um, and I think what means a lot to me about being involved in this research is that we' we're, we're bringing to visibility stuff that so many people know you, you know whether you've experienced yourself or you know you're a manager and you've you've seen it amongst your staff it's it's almost it would be more surprising if people didn't feel this way because of yes, the complexity of yet yeah, because of the complexity of the role because of how much it it Um, takes to do this work and and because it matters so much like the stakes are really high so there are a lot of reasons but you know it's also really interesting because when you look at literature from kind of management and and a business perspective um, some of the things you're talking about like not having a lot of choice in where uh, where to be or what you're going to do which kind of goes with the nature of early childhood practice um, that is one of the factors that can lead to these sorts of problems with burnout and yet that's the work you know that's how the work is that that you're um, that you've got to be there uh, you know the the ratios say you've got to be there and it's important that you're present in the work because it's going to make a difference to the quality of practice And, and yet as a human being it is it isn't no as you say Liam it's so important this is not about people being bad people or unmotivated or not qualified enough or whatever this is just simply stuff to do with people at work if you don't have you know good quality work conditions um you don't have a lot of autonomy in your role then it's quite likely that you're going to have these problems so this is where we need to kind of shift the conversation to what can we do about this you know we can't pretend that doing early childhood practice is like working in an office or a factory or some other kind of workplace it's obviously it's not but so how can we make an educator's work environment work for them as well as for the children because they're both in there together
0: yeah i think it's fascinating tomorrow and i know I, i i Promised myself we would keep this interview relatively short and <laughs> update, but I just I just want to talk about this for hours and hours. But yeah, th- th- yeah. there's so much fascinating stuff here, and you know, for me, it's about um, what I I think research like this is is so amazing is because of focus yeah. on an educators. I've been concerned for a long period of time that. The focus we've had to have on children which is really important and critical and and the conversations around the nqf and children's rights and bringing all that stuff up is is critically important but what Absolutely. I think that has sudden what, what that what uh, an unintended side effect of that is I think it's become harder then for educators to just say this job's really hard sometimes working with mm. children and sometimes individual children are actually really difficult and challenging yeah. to deal with but educators, there's a bit of self-imposed that, well I can't mm. I can't say that because That's you know right. every child is wonderful at all times and we you need to be up on the side with that, and, yeah. I, and I do think, Tamara, here there's there's a gender issue as well. I think that's particularly yeah. hard for women, where I think there's a societal sure. view that if women dared to say they don't, you know, they don't particularly even, you know, like their work or or, or like mm. this particular interaction of happening with a child at a particular moment, that they'll be seen yeah. as, you know, that's really kind of a bit of a taboo.
1: Yes. There's not absolutely. a question there, Tamara.
0: I don't know. That's just a comment. But
1: <laughs> Oh, no. And look, I mean, I'm with you, Liam. I think it's something that we could talk about for hours. And, you know, like there's so many angles you could go down and one that I'm really interested in myself and um, together with Sandy and Helen, we've got an article that we hope will be published in Contemporary Issues early next year. That's all about the way that the dominant discourses in early childhood education and care have made it have made it the the topic of educators invisible the topic of educators well being invisible. And and what I mean by discourses are like the dominant messages. So that those those that sense you get like I should or the right way is this and there's no other way. Even though there are alternatives, we're not allowed to do those. And I think talking about educators well being has has become one of those that um, you know, discourses about child centeredness that are absolutely, like, they're really important, um, but they've come to be so dominant that they push out anything else. And that's when there's a problem, when you can't have the space for other people's interests also to be acknowledged. So that's kind of part of our agenda as well, is to to bring those issues up and talk about them. Um, But I think... um, from an organizational perspective as well that people are very aware of um, the need to to do something to support educators better because for everybody's perspective we need a sustainable workforce and that means not just that we keep bodies in positions but that um, that we've got a really well-functioning workforce um, and that we do keep the numbers where because we need you know we need more and more teachers in particular um, So how are we going to do that? You know, you can't just keep the conditions the same and expect everybody to go, oh, well, yes, we'll just keep going because that's what we've always done. Well, that's now our data is showing that is a problem. And this is why we're losing people. Some of our data is showing this is why we're losing people. So we need to keep going with that.
0: And I think one of the great things about this project is it will kind of it, – it, it's a – it's the it, – uh, you know, it will start to address that educator invisibility yes. which you're talking about. This is really yeah. talking about educators, which is wonderful. Now, mm. we're now almost 15 minutes into this tomorrow and we're not to the point, which I was, you know, hoping to get an update from it, which is entirely my fault as usual. But you've recently had sort of a big gathering of lots of people involved in the project. Can you tell us yes. a bit about um about, about that, that, that gathering? I guess, you know, why you wanted to bring everyone together yeah. at this point for the project.
1: For sure, yeah. So um, – Um, you know in doing this project our our real purpose is ultimately to make a difference to educators well-being and the we know a little bit about educators well-being from other people's research and increasingly from what we're doing but not and and people would know you know there are programs out there that are working on educators well-being You, you know you can buy services to come in for your to help with various things. Um, I guess we're arguing that from an evidence perspective, we need to do this research to figure out where the problems are for a lot of people and what the best way is to go about supporting people. so um, And in the Australian context as well, because a lot of overseas research isn't as relevant for our our context and the type of services and the ownership structures that we have. So we wanted to bring together people from our sector to talk about what we found and what would be the best things to research going forward. So we invited um, educators, we invited people from different types of early childhood organisations. So, again, not-for-profit, for-profit. We invited people from unions and from um, other key bodies. So, altogether, we had 42 people who came together in Sydney two weeks ago, and we had um, a really interesting um, uh, World Dialogic Cafe session um, moderated by Fabulous Leanne, um, who did an amazing job of getting people to think about what it's like to be an educator and then what the problems are and then what are the things that we most need to do something about. And what we're going to do is now we've got all of that fantastic information and people who came along were just so enthusiastic and so concerned and it was just it was really inspiring to see people from across the sector come together um, around this agenda. I think there's a lot of interest and concern out there. So we're going to now sort of distill that into some ideas for research and then go back to these people in the sector at large and just say, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, would you like to be involved in the research? And these are the different ways it could be if you wanted to be. So, but we, we really feel very committed to making this consultative. It's not just... Um, you know, and involved in the design of what we're doing, so it's not just here's what we want to do. What do you think? It's like, what should we do? And that's where we're starting from. Is from what the sector thinks 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 is important.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. And and are there more? Um, are these going to be like regular events, or in terms of bringing people together to to be talking about this project on in an ongoing way?
1: Well, I think. We've, so this one had a very particular purpose and as time goes on and our research continues, then they this kind of event, yes, will definitely be part of it. Um, but we also share research findings and we're always really keen to receive feedback. Like if people saw what we were doing and they went, you've missed this or this is just wrong. You know, like if, if we meet people, we, we'd rather you tell us because we want to make it useful to the field, you know, and we might say, oh, well, we've actually done that in this part of the survey, you know, but but we'd much rather people ask um, and give us that feedback. So, and we also um, to try to promote what we're doing in practitioner journals as well as academic journals, because as I said, we want it to make a difference to the field and there's no point, you know, just putting the findings in an academic <laughs> journal that nobody's got access to except the academics.
0: <laughs> um, and if people want to follow the the project, I know we sort of talked yep. about this uh, in January, but it's a good reminder. To people, yes. if, um, p- where's the best, the best sort of platforms and places yeah. for people to follow the project?
1: For sure. So our Facebook site is a page is the best place. And if you just go to um, search within Facebook for Equip, ECEWP um, or Early Childhood Educators Wellbeing Project, you can follow us, and that just means you see what we're up to and um, and what we're doing. And And if you're really keen and you want more information, you can email us and we'll put you on our contact list to send you a newsletter or um, let you know if we're looking for participants or that sort of thing. Um, And you'd find that information on our Facebook
0: page as well. Yeah, really recommend doing that to anyone who's listening. It's an amazing project and, oh, and you, really, <laughs> really educator focused. And, yeah, and we tomorrow are. we will definitely be having you on again later in the year for a much longer conversation because oh. I'm, uh, I'm stressed that we have to wrap this up so quickly. But <laughs> luckily, we are we are talking to a participant of the roundtable and Leanne herself, so we'll be able to get a little Wonderful. bit more info on the actual day itself. But it was great to get an update um, and talk about the roundtable. So tomorrow, really, thanks, thanks so much for coming, and giving us an update. Oh, today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for letting us raise all these issues on the show and um, supporting the field this way.
0: No problem. Thanks, Tamara.
1: Thank you. You're listening to The Early Education Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever
2: you get your podcasts. Find out more about this episode and all of the
0: previous episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. Okay, Lisa, thanks for talking to The Early Education Show. We should... We've known each other for quite a while. It's always a bit awkward interviewing someone you've known for quite a while, but I'm very excited and grateful that you were so eager to take part in this interview and weren't forced into it in any way, shape or form. Were you, Lisa?
2: No, I'm excited to be part of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a Verbal contract, Lisa. I've got that in writing. But So, Lisa, you know, uh, it was really... So, obviously, Northside's taking part in this uh, early educator well-being project. Um, you, you've had uh, educators at your centre in Harrison... Um, wearing the special exosuits and going through that process and really fantastically and I know you didn't enjoy the flight too much but you got to go to Sydney for the round table but before we sort of talk about those you're you're an accomplished educator and have worked as a centre director in the sector for quite a while you know what can you tell us a bit about you know your time just working in the sector how what what did you think about well-being sort of prior to taking part in this project how did you as an educator did you ever think about your own well-being or, or the well-being of your your colleagues as you did this amazing work
2: I guess in my entire career I've always thought as a director about the well-being of my educators but never felt that the place I had worked for actually supported that process but I would always check in with my educators and when you know your educators well enough you know when their well-being isn't where it should be. So, But it wasn't until I came to Northside that I realised that people above directors care about everyone's well-being and have systems in place to support them every step of the way.
0: Well, thank you for the free plug for Northside, Lisa. But so not to not to belabor the point, I, I think there are a lot of organisations who do things, you know, hopefully similar to maybe how we approach them at Northside. But um, can you talk a bit maybe more about that? Like, how do you think, what are the things you think help directors and maybe educators with well-being in terms of what we do here in Northside?
2: Yeah, I think it's... Um, For example, as a director, having monthly checks with people at Northside, Um, we also can talk to operations manager whenever we like and anyone at head office. And not that that wouldn't have been an option at my previous workplaces, but it didn't feel as easy to access. We also have training around looking after your educator wellbeing, Um, I think just knowing educators, being able to spend time with them on the floor as well to look for key signs if they're not struggling. But I think basically the training and the support that we get here has helped me to then go back and support my educators.
0: You're a director now and you've obviously been a director in other organisations as well. You sort of talked about focusing on the wellbeing of the people who, who work for you Um how did you, like, I'm sorry, I used to think back to my time as a director and I used to find that really challenging, is where there was a lot of things you couldn't help with. So there was a lot of stresses. Like the job is difficult and it is stressful. So how did you approach, you know, prior to taking part in this project, what were your thoughts about how you supported, you know, the well-being of the educators who worked and with you in the centre?
2: I guess it also goes back to when I started as an educator and if you were having problems, directors were never available To help you. So, I think I've just used my experience as an educator to put that into being a director and also having open lines of communication with the educators so they feel comfortable to come and tell you if you're not okay. And also having the ability to access avenues to help them if they need help in particular areas
0: so tell us about the round table day Lisa so you um you went to Sydney and joined I think there were about 70 or so people there um just you know tell us what was your what tell, tell you give us a summary of the day from your perspective what did you do there
2: yep so when I got invited to go I wasn't sure to start with what it would the day would involve um so
0: that was me I think sending you a le- an email Lisa going Lisa can you do you want to go to this thing and I promise I'll explain it to you later and then I probably did not
2: no, you didn't. So I was excited to go though, um, and it also ties in really well with doing the wellness and wellbeing um, at for part of my bachelor at the moment. So it's actually all tied in really well. So, but on the day we got there, and we had an overview of the results from the first part of the project. From educators wearing the vests, doing the mouth swabs to test cortisol levels, they also had to do a questionnaire. And everything, so we got to see the results from that, and the one thing that they said stood out to them was that educators aren't actually as mobile in a day as they first thought It's actually quite a sedentary job, which surprised me as well because I always see my educators like on the run um and there are obviously our peak times that they're stressed, so in the morning and then again in the afternoon oh.
0: so, did they know do they they, it sounds like they were just giving you the data. Did they have any thoughts about why those times were no, maybe more stressful?
2: they haven't finished collating everything to do with the questionnaire and things like that. I put it down to maybe interactions with parents, especially in the afternoon. <laughs> Sometimes you can be quite concerned about what you might need to talk to them about, and in the morning you're worried about getting the room set up, ready for the day, and how worrying about how the day's going to pan out, or if another educator's away sick, how you're going to accommodate that um so they we then broke into groups and discussed what the project could do for the second part of it now that they've got this data so we discussed other questions for the questionnaire because they used more generalized questions last time whereas they thought this time they should be more specific and like that would answer your question Liam as to what determines the parts of the day that are stressful they hadn't actually asked the the participants what was stressful about those times of the day so we talked about things they could put in the questionnaire and we also talked about ways as directors we could support our educators during those times of being you know heightened and then they said that they'd like to have a round table every 6 months and continue the research because they actually had more participants than they first thought
0: mm-hmm. They had more than they thought them from when they went to Harrison. We ended up with a lot of educators yeah, signing up there. Um, so, Lisa, obviously, um, you know, your, your centre's taking part. You've been to the round table. I'm going to take a radical leap and assume you're interested in this in this project a little bit. Um, you know, what, what, what do you find interesting about the project or what are you sort of hoping the project might might do for educators or do about the, the research for well being for educators?
2: Well, I think we spend so much time worrying about the children in our centres that we forget about the people that are actually looking after the children and another interesting thing that they found in this study is that educators have a lot of compo claims because of injuries but it's been put down to tiredness stress and things like that and I guess as a director I see that in my educators and I worry about their well-being because a lot of them leave our sector because of the stress. So if we can come up with ways to decrease the stress, then we might keep our best educators instead of them. You know, it's getting too much for them. Or and also to reduce workplace injuries for educators as well. I think that's a great long term long term goal.
0: I think it's great. I think we often talk, talk about well being, and it's sort of seen as this sort of fairy fairy. And educators look after their own well being and meditate and do all that. And if you do that, that's fine. But I think. Sometimes we don't realise it actually has like physical, you know, you know, you know, outcomes, which is you know workers' compensation claims, injuries, all those kind of things. Right. So this isn't just some some airy fairy thing. So we've got a number of educators at Harrison who are taking part in the project. So do you tell me a bit about that. So how, from speaking with the educators who are taking part, what what are they, what are how are they experiencing the project?
2: Uh- when they first signed up, I don't think they knew exactly what they were signing up for. It's a common
0: either. theme, isn't it, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, I think it's
2: you. Uh, they didn't know exactly what they were signing up for, but it really interested them to be part of a project about their well-being, as opposed to other, everything else that happens in their day. So I know they were really excited. And when I came back from the round table, they wanted to know what the results showed. And after hearing some of the results, I'm actually quite excited that it The centre I'm at, we don't have all those workers' comp claims, so we must be doing something right. Um, But they're really excited to see what will come from this because, like you said, it's not just around physical wellbeing. It's, you know, your emotional, it's everything. So if we can look after them in every way... I think that we're halfway there.
0: I think one of the things that's kind of the world first part of this research is the, the hexo skin suits themselves, so actually wearing these kind of like wetsuits um, under clothes during the day, which is a, a, like a world first And tracking all sorts of... I'm going to get these words wrong, but it's like psychometric and mm-hmm. I I've, I've can't remember the other word now for Tamara and Sandy and Helen are not going to be happy when they listen to this interview, but it's tracking a whole range of physiological data. That's the... Yeah. the so. When you talk to the educators, how, what was it like actually wearing and being tracked while doing the job? Because that, that to me is kind of fascinating. I don't know how I would go with that. How did they find that process of sort of being tracked in that suit all day?
2: Well, at first they thought it would just be really uncomfortable and they were a little bit stressed, so their levels probably went up a little bit, I'd say, at the beginning. Um, but they said after they'd worn it for an hour or so, you couldn't really tell anymore that you are wearing it. And actually that was one of the things at the round table that they've talked about, doing in the next part of the project is wearing that vest for a 24 hour period. So not just tracking your levels during a rostered shift, but checking to see if you're stressed as you're coming into work or as you're leaving. So, and when I told the educators that they were quite excited to track themselves for a 24 hour period to see how that went. And I even had a pregnant staff member that did the project because she was excited to see how you know she would fit into that as well wow. so but no they're excited to do it all again <laughs> yeah.
0: well, and you'll i'm sure we we'll be looking forward to going back to the round table when it happens again in a few months but um lisa thanks so much for talking to the early education show
2: thanks for having me
0: Alright and I'm speaking now to what I'm sure will probably be a pretty familiar voice to listeners Leanne, you see, this feels very odd interviewing you
3: <laughs> Hello Liam, how are you going? And not only odd, but the way that we're doing it is very odd as well But that's okay <laughs>
0: There's been a lot of technical difficulties with this interview, which, uh, which but, but I don't know, I kind of feel like because you're obviously someone, I feel like I need to go really hard on you this interview so that I'm showing no fear or favour. So there's just going to be, is this a bunch of really hardball squirming questions okay, Leanne?
3: <laughs> well, thankfully the subject matter is not too challenging. So we should, we
0: should be <laughs> That's okay. true. We should be okay. And I... I promise to be nice. That's okay. But so, Leanne, you're you're a guest on the show this time rather than the host because we wanted to talk to you in your capacity um, in working with the Early Childhood Educator Wellbeing Project. With um, so, in in this episode, we're speaking as well to Tamara, um, who's part of the the research team running the project, as well as Lisa, one of the centre directors. But you were um, at the recent roundtable uh, get together as well. So do you want to tell us what you were doing um, at that event?
3: Um, Yeah, well, I was facilitating a session at the event. Um, Obviously, I'm pretty aware of the research that um, the team is doing. Tamara and Sandy and Helen now um, are involved in this wellbeing research. And I think I'm sort of fascinated about this because I think it has so many incredible research methods and the way that they're engaging with educators. I find fascinating you know like I feel like this is really cutting-edge research that's at an international level that's not been done in any education sector before so I find it very very exciting anyway one of the research methods that I am using in my own research is um, what's called World Cafe or Dialogic Cafe and I think when uh, Sandy and Tamara were talking about how they could um, take some further steps in the research that they were doing, they thought um, to hold some sort of facilitated event with um, people in the sector to talk about the sorts of things that they wanted to talk about to do with educator wellbeing and what their views were of, of wellbeing up ahead. So they asked me to undertake what's called the Dialogic Cafe with the group um, and that was how I got involved. So although I'm not a researcher within this project, I I just became involved through the use of this method.
0: Well, it'd be great if you could tell us a bit more about the, um, the, the World Cafe and the Dialogic Cafe. I mean, it makes me want to order a Skinny Fly White, yeah. but I'm sure there's probably far more to it than that, I have heard. And I, I should say, you know, I've, I've heard you speak about this before. It is it is pretty pretty amazing. But can you tell us just a bit about, I guess, that that um, that idea in itself?
3: Well, I'm a huge enthusiast for this method, and people will know that. And I think sometimes when I'm talking about, it, people go, "Oh, seriously? Like, could you talk about something else? Because it's actually." We're over it, but that's all right. I'm not, so I'll keep talking about it. <laughs> so, uh, with this, like, like all good researchers, hey, with this um, method, we I've used this in the past, and we used to use it at community childcare for our professional development. So people would be very um, familiar with it if they had ever been to a community child care session and everybody who was involved in professional development was really enthusiastic about it. So it's a facilitated session rather than a focus group that you might normally use in a research project. it's a facilitated session that creates a feeling of democracy amongst the participants. it's um, co-creating ideas and collaborating together. And it seems like a pretty simple, Um, process of, um, you know, within education is to talk with people about the ideas that they have, rather than um, asserting your own ideas over people and asking their responses to it. So what happens in the Dialogic Cafe is that you create an environment that is um, one of equality, so giving people some boundaries around their thinking, um, meaning that they have to equally participate, they have to embrace a diversity of views, uh, they have to ask incisive questions. There's a lot of haves within this for a democracy, but hey, that's a democracy, isn't it? Um, and this is the, the co-creation of knowledge. So instead of the question being asked of them, they create the questions and then generate the knowledge around those questions as well. Does that make clear what happens in a World Café?
0: I think good. I feel I feel sad that I haven't. I feel sad that I haven't been a part of one. I'd love to. But Gabby, I mean, can you? Um, and obviously, you know, this this event was for people who who were there and were attending. So, are you able to give a bit of a, a flavour of you know the kind of conversations I guess you were having as part of this um, this structure, this world cafe at this uh, wellbeing roundtable?
3: Well, at the so one of the things that um, you're trying to encourage within a group like this is a diversity of views. Now, in some ways, that was already taken care of because. So many um, different people were there. People were involved from unions. From um, they were leaders in large organisations. They were leaders from early childhood settings. Educators um, who are leaders in early childhood settings as well. Uh, there were representatives of HR from organisations. So it was quite a, a diverse um, a diverse group. Anyway, so that was that was that was the great thing, and. What happened at the beginning of this session was that um, Tamara and Sandy and Helen presented different um, thinking on and different aspects of the research. So that was the, that, I guess that was the provocation for thinking and thinking about what was already happening in this research and where that could go next. Um, and of course, it was fascinating what they had found as well, which I'm sure they've spoken with you about um, for this particular episode. And then that served as a foundation for what people then were going to ask. And then it was the facilitation of their thinking. What were their next questions around educator wellbeing? What were their questions that moved this research to the next stage? And how could the researchers then tap into their thinking about where they took the research next? So the sorts of things that they might be asking about were um, to do with... You know, pay and conditions, remuneration, psychological safety and well-being, um, where people were at at different stages in their lives and their careers, how organisations could support those. So there, there was just a really broad range of thinking and questions that came about, and these were documented by a graphic illustrator as well. So that's a key component of the World Cafe: is generating images that then people can return to and understand what their thinking was about. So there was a wonderful graphic recorder, Rebecca Lazenby, illustrator, who recorded the themes and the ideas that people were discussing throughout the day and also in the debrief at the end of the day.
0: So, Leanne, did you sort of notice from the groups of people that were, were taking part, did you notice particular... Um, topics emerged from particular groups. So I guess what I'm asking you is, um, did you notice there were different sort of questions being asked by, say, educators who were working directly with children to, say, centre directors or, say, people who, you know, are in, you know, leadership roles outside of classrooms? Or was it all pretty... Was everyone sort of bringing diverse views full stop? Or did you sort of identify... Different groups had different um, thinking on well-being.
3: Yeah, there's definitely different themes that come through, and everybody comes from their own perspective, of course. I mean, I know they can think broadly, but they are coming from from uh, their own views and their own perspective. So, and of course, they carry an an agenda with them. So, for example, uh, when you listen to the union speaking, they're talking about um, pay parity, and they're talking about the current conditions of policy that might affect educator well-being and if you're talking to the people from who were thinking about um, human resources they were focusing on their employee assistance programs and how people uh, came into um, the, those sorts of programs and what sort of challenges they brought to those programs uh, then there were, when you're thinking about from an educator world Educator perspective or a director, they've got their head in thinking about exactly what the challenges are for their educators on a day to day basis and dealing with their multiple commitments or their stage of life or um, how they're addressing their everyday work and and relieving the stress of that everyday work and the the multiple um, kind of commitments that they bring to that work, but also the multiple commitments. And how they manage their day, with all of the different stresses that are on their day—from working with children to working with families to working with each other.
0: Yeah, I guess, and that—that that, what I kind of assumed was obviously people are going to be coming with their own agendas. I think that's a good thing. I think that's part of the the, the benefits of your approach you've taken. There is that there's a I guess there's a platform and a space for those. Multiple views to come together. together. Was there something yeah, that, Leanne? Something Leanne end, you know, you've yeah, um, been doing, doing you know, a whole, doing whole a range, range of research, research, research and work in the sector for for a long time. Was there? Uh, and you sort of talked about how excited you were by this project at the start. And I sort of spent a lot of the time in my interview with Tamara doing the same. What? You, it's always you know bad not a good idea to second guess research. Um, but you know, what are you hoping? You know, will will be some outcomes of this project, or what are you sort of? You know, with this project, you know, reaches its end. What do you? What, what What's your sort of wish that? You know, that that what what might have been achieved from this project
3: I think with educator well-being or um, you know any or director well-being or you know the, the well-being of the people who work within early childhood settings I think for a long time we have felt that there is this load of stress and there's there are a lot of challenges but I think we've become a, a bit inured to those things and think well that's you sign up for that job so that's what you've signed up for therefore you need to bear all the strain of that job and I think that we've lost um, a bit of touch with how how stressful that is and what that and and what people bring to the workplace and who those people are so when you think about um, some educators, who will be um, already disadvantaged perhaps by their pay scale and and then, you know, what they might bring to that in terms of, OK, they've worked a second job. And those sorts of things to me are what we've almost become like, oh, yeah, that's just part of the whole picture of early childhood when really we should be really upholding the well-being and the right, rights of early childhood educators and know everybody who works in the sector and I guess my hope will be that we're able to really unpack what what it is that is challenging for people in the workplace and how their whole well-being can be taken care of and that we really understand what it is that is impacting on them both in a day-to-day sense and also outside of work hours and who those people are really understanding who educators are and what they what they are offering to children and are they being are they receiving what they need in order to do this important work with children and families and have we maybe lost contact with that a little bit so i suppose i'm i'm just really hoping that we through this research we can get a really clear picture of what happens every day for an educator and then what what how that can be um, best addressed in terms of well-being for educators in planned programs, systematised programs, but also in the day-to-day practice that they have, that can really take care of their well-being. So, not being a person who is directly involved in the research, I'm just kind of bantering on about what I think. So, you know, these, these are these are things that that I would hope could happen.
0: And- wonderful even just knowing more i think would be a victory well um well leanne i think you stepped very well into the role of interviewee so i'm going to give you a big a plus plus rating for that thanks so much for talking about uh your your work on at the, the early child educator roundtable
3: thank you very much liam it's been a pleasure to be on the early education show
0: oh look we'll probably have you back on again maybe <laughs> <laughs> thanks Leanne. thanks liam The right. So a big thanks to Tamara, Lisa and of course Leanne uh, for speaking us on this project. Uh, Like I said, it's definitely one I think we'll be following uh, for the next little while. There's some really, really fascinating stuff. Um, I really wish all of those interviews could have gone for about an episode themselves but um, I think it's kind of worked as a bit of a touch point. Uh, We're we're obviously at episode 99 now, which means the next episode is of course episode 100, which feels like a bit of a milestone. I'm not quite sure when we'll be getting to that episode. We'll probably be taking a little bit of a break over this Easter um, period, so maybe a couple of Weeks, but um, we'll we're still kind of working out what that episode will be. We think it will be a little bit special, um, but quite what special means, um, you know, we'll 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 have to determine. Um, I think one of the things we'd really like to see, just from listeners of the show, um, you know, particularly you know if you've been around with us for a while, or even if you're just new, um this would be a good point to, you know, leave it, leave a comment or something on our Facebook post and let us know if you're enjoying the show, if it's something that's, that's meant something to you over the last little while, the show has meant quite a lot to, to Lisa, Leanne and I um, over the last sort of almost four years now. Um, we've really enjoyed doing it. It's, it's a lot of work, um, which I don't think we've, uh, we've shied away from, but we really enjoyed it. And we've got to speak and, and engage with some incredible people. And some of the interactions and engagement we've had with listeners has been particularly wonderful. Um, so, you know, we're, we're obviously hitting that big milestone. Uh, if, if, that sort of means anything to you, you know, please leave a comment um, on, our, on our Facebook page. Um, the, uh, but as I said, I'm not entirely sure when that episode will be out, we will probably be off for a little while. Um, but when we we'll be back, it will be episode 100. So until then, uh, it's goodbye from me. You have been listening to the Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs, and Leanne McNicholas, and produced by Leanne McNicholas find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there it would be great if you could hit the support the show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month we really appreciate it get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on facebook and twitter with the username earlyedushow if you're enjoying the show please leave us a rating and review on the apple podcast store this really helps other people find the show see you next time